Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. The big game is back, and you know what that means. We get to bet on what color Gatorade will dunk the winning coach. Now, each of the last two years, the Bucks and the Rams have gone for blue. Three of the last four years, blue has been the winning color, and yet blue comes in as the second largest favorite this year at plus 390. At plus 200, you can get orange. At plus 400, you can get clear or watercolor. Yellow, green, slash lemon, lime, also at plus 400. Red is sitting at plus 600, and purple comes in at plus 1,000. All of your big game bets are available at Bet Online Sportsbook, and you can use our promo code BLEAV, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Using the link in the description to this episode, Bet Online, where the game starts. Razor, what's up with you? Not too much. Nasty day here in the Tar Heel State. About 45 and rainy. Oh, I see. I see. Windy? No, just rainy. Okay, that's at least a little bit better, but uh, we we sent all that rain over to you guys at this point, I guess. So hopefully hopefully you're staying dry. there's a lot of stuff. I literally wrote down six things I wanted to talk to you about since the last time we came on. So uh, should we work from most recent backwards or should we work from the the most in the past to most recent stuff? I'll leave that up to the host. How about that? Okay. Okay. Um, I guess we'll start off with the Australian Open then. What, what did you think about the tournament? Uh, men's, women's draws. I know you are a big tennis guy, so you were following that for the past couple weeks. I'm honored that we're starting with the Australian Open and in shock, by the way. So let's, that's a good thing. Um, okay. <laughs> so let's start with the ladies' side where you had a little bit of a surprise with the number five seed, um, Ariana Sabalenka, winning the tournament. Uh, I'm not shocked by that. She was the third uh, shortest uh, favorite to win the tournament, even though she was the five seed. I thought she had a lot of momentum coming into the tournament. Uh, big surprise, Iga uh, Sviatek going down in the Sweet 16 to uh, eventual finalist uh, Rabikina. So a little bit of surprise there, but Rabikina is really good. I mean, she won Wimbledon uh, just about uh, five or six months ago. So um, it was a epic ladies final, probably one of the better Grand Slam finals on the ladies side that I have seen in several years. So um, I thought we were treated to a very good women's tournament overall. On the men's side, I mean, uh, grass is green, the sky is blue, and um, not a whole lot of surprise that uh, Djokovic won the tournament. I mean, the price that you got on Djokovic before the tournament started if you bet tennis and you didn't take this, um, you did yourself a major um, dis- uh, injustice because um, I got Djokovic at plus dollar uh, thirty-five. I think I paid um, about four days before the tournament, and you just ride that train. I mean, it was just—I um, know it's not a great price tag, but at the same time, there's just not many people that can beat this guy on this surface. So uh, Djokovic's uh, final was uh, not very entertaining. One in straight sets. Sissipas had a great tournament. That is the finalist. And um, not a ton of surprises overall, uh, you know, as we got 
closer to the final four. Uh, a couple guys that that emerged um, that went pretty far, especially Americans. Tommy Paul was the the delight of the tournament, in my opinion. Uh, unseated, reaching the semifinals, getting blasted by Djokovic in the semifinals, but yet to make the final four unseated and being American uh, was was a was a treat. So, um, long story short, it was a fun tournament, a very profitable tournament for me. Um, I had a pretty good U.S. Open, a very good Wimbledon. A horrific French Open last year, Kyle. So um, this Australian Open kind of has put everything back into perspective with Grand Slam tennis for me. The last, um, you know, four slams, I'm probably ahead of the game, thankfully, to this Australian Open. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a huge tennis person. At the same time, I've learned quite a bit from talking to you about it. Uh, do you think that Alcadas, um, I hope I got his name right, Carlos Alcadas, who won, uh, I can't remember which tournament he won last year, but had he um, had he played in this tournament, do you think he could have gave Novak a run for his money? Yeah, absolutely. Carlos Alcaraz um, is the uh, was the number one player in the world going into this, to this event. Now he has dropped to two because Djokovic has, um, you know, obviously accumulated so many ATP points by winning the Australian Open. Um, Alcaraz has really been banged up ever since claiming the U.S. Open title um, on September, whenever that was, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. Um, so um, if he's healthy, yes, he can contend on any surface except grass with Djokovic. So, but a lot of what ifs, right? You know, if you're not healthy, you know, there's, you really can't compare the two. An unhealthy Alcaraz is not beating Djokovic. There's just no, it's not happening. So, um I wish he was healthy. He would have been another guy to, you know, put into the fold, but Alcaraz will be back. He needs to rest up. Hopefully we see him. We are going to see him. He's made an announcement that we're going to see him in a big tournament down in Buenos Aires, Argentina come uh, February. So uh, give it another, uh, you know, two weeks and or maybe less. I don't know when the Buenos Aires tournament is, but it's coming up soon and you'll see um, the debut of Alcaraz in 2023. Well, I guess we'll wait for the French Open to see if we finally get a matchup between the two. Uh Part part of the reason is that I am interested in tennis and I know it's your expertise a little bit. And also now we got to talk about the Buffalo Bills, your beloved Buffalo Bills, who didn't get that neutral site game you were hoping to attend in Atlanta. You know what, Kyle? I, uh, as you probably remember, I was at the time of the game at Hollywood Studios in Lake Buena Vista, Florida, which is at Walt Disney World. And I asked my wife, I said, um, listen, you know, big deal, big game. Um, is there any way we can, uh, you know, wrap the things up by at least the second half with the kids? And um, she said, OK, we'll figure it out. You know, it's a big vacation. So it's one of those things where we, uh, you know, sh- it was going to be tough to get a pass. Um, I'm glad I really didn't watch a ton of this game, Kyle. I wish I can give you a lot of uh, insight and feedback to what transpired, uh, you know, two weeks ago, whatever it was, 10 days ago, 11 days ago. Um didn't see much of the game. Kind of glad I didn't because, uh, you know, I think the snow is a big factor for Buffalo. I think, you know, I've mentioned this to you on your pod over, you know, December timeframe that snow is not going to be great for Buffalo. This is not a running team. Um, I did see part of the game. I saw the highlights and we we could not get the burrow. I felt like our our guys were struggling to, you know, gain their feet. There's no excuse for that. Everybody was playing on an even level playing surface. Our our corners are just on ice skates trying to guard, you know, two incredible receivers and Higgins and Chase um, wasn't meant to be. And, and overall, Kyle, like I do feel like since he is the better team, whether it's 70 degrees or, you know, 20 and snowing, 
Uh, but I do think the snow really helped uh, the Bengals for some reason. I don't know how and why it did, but I just don't like this Bills team in the snow because it really, you know, depletes the ability to, you know, throw the ball down the field that, that Allen loves to do. And um, I'm disappointed, but at the same time, you know, I felt like, you know, I think Cincinnati still is the best team in the AFC, regardless of what transpired um, a few days ago. So, um, yeah, tough loss. Not Not surprised whatsoever, though. I guess once you notice that they're going to take the loss that you don't necessarily go back and watch with intent. Um, One of the things that I thought was surprising was that the Bengals were able to have scoring drives of rounding up or down three minutes, four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, and seven minutes in the game, which kind of feels like you're doing whatever you want on the offensive side of the ball. And then to juxtapose that to them playing Baltimore, a similarly skilled defense to the Buffalo Bills without key players for Buffalo and then against Kansas City a defense not as good as Buffalo and what they were doing I thought that was really interesting from the the Buffalo defensive standpoint in addition to Josh Allen having the worst playoff game of his career yeah I mean you know it's just one of those situations that um unexplainable how poorly Allen played and um I mean yeah Allen played pretty bad but I also think that Allen's elbow is definitely needs to be looked at here in the offseason. I mean, he really didn't throw the ball that great at times. We saw a lot of miscues against Miami in round one, uh, saw some miscues against the Patriots week 18. Um, again, you know, I was a little disappointed, but yet I, I kind of just wasn't one of those situations where you're devastated as a fan like you were in the divisional game, you know, one year ago where you had every chance to win and you should have won, and you did not. This was a team that I think the personnel was just simply better on the other side of of, of the ball. So I'm going to capitalize on something you said also about Cincinnati still being the best team in the AFC coming out of the AFC championship. What were your thoughts about everything that happened there? It was a classic game. These teams play to a three-point game, and and that's why when you you play Cincinnati-Kansas City, it just seems like you're you're doing yourself a favor by just buying up the underdog to plus three and a half or four because it seems to land on three the last few games. Um, Listen, the referees, they're going to make mistakes. Everybody's talking about that on social media. Everybody's an armchair referee on their couch. I think Cincinnati was, you know, the better team. Uh, again, I look back at that game, and I think Cincinnati had their chances in the, uh, in the, you know, in the second half. Um, to, you know, they came out firing. They were the better team uh, by far in the second half. The Joe Burrow interception um, probably, you know, cemented everything. You felt like it did, but yet then Kansas City had to pump the ball away. The, the. Uh, I guess intentional grounding was the killer for Cincinnati. You know, I think Cincinnati had a chance like they always seem to have uh, with Burrow under center instead of um, third down and seven or eight, it ended up being third and 16 from their own 10. I wish, you know, if you're a Cincinnati fan, like you, you you know, there's always regrets like looking back at it. I think the special teams um, hurt them badly in that situation where I feel like Cincinnati needed to figure out a way to punt that ball out of bounds. I mean, there was just so much space for Sky Moore to take it down the field to the 50-yard line or whatever it was, and I think that was a huge blunder. Um, you know, it's tough. It's, you know, as a fan, if you're a fan of the Bengals, you, you had your chances, and I, I think that the better team lost, and I think that the Eagles are 
playing at a level right now, especially if they're much healthier than Kansas City, where I was kind of shocked, Kyle. I I mean, the number is all over the place, you know, one, two, two and a half. But I I think Philly is the better team. We'll go into that soon. But I I, I know they were they they took advantage of good fortune with Purdy going down. But I still think Philly would have been beaten the San Francisco 49ers by at least, uh, you know, touchdown with Purdy in the game. Yeah, and, and we'll come back around to Philadelphia in a second, sticking with what you were talking about with the, the Bengals. Uh, I thought it was interesting how after they took the intentional grounding, and I believe that was the drive after the um, the tipped interception uh, that was kind of like a punt interception. It was third down, didn't really make that much of a difference at the end of the day. Um, yep. When those two drives went back and forth, and they're the two that people are like, oh, we expect Burrow to go down the field and score, but then Kansas City didn't go down and score. I thought it was really interesting to see the two teams play to a standstill in the fourth quarter, just because, I mean, after I think it was the Bengals made the field goal to make it 20 to 20, I don't think there was any scoring until the last kick of the game for 14 minutes. And that was something that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, it was an unders paradise, right? Um, you know, just just crazy how that unfolded. But man, I just think Cincinnati's defense is really good, um, and I think Kansas City's defense really, really came fourth quarter. Christian Chris Jones is just like God; he's just unstoppable. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to take a, a double team. But the difference is, like, I feel like Hertz will will escape the pocket easier sometimes than Burrow. Burrow's a great runner. Um, but adding to the that, fact that the Eagles have three Hall of Fame offensive linemen. Yeah, yeah, I think I think that Jones won't be as big of a factor in the Super Bowl as he was on Sunday night here in the in the championship game. So, um, I think that um, I think that uh, the the Kansas City defense is pretty short right now, pretty banged up, and you have to be really impressed with what they did in the last you know six seven minutes of the fourth quarter to shut down Cincinnati and to make uh, a couple of huge plays, the sack to, you know, create the final punt of the game. But that interception uh, was, was pretty, was pretty badass at the end, you know, with double coverage. I think that was Higgins um, that, mm-hmm. you know, the two rookies were, were guarding at the, uh, that bomb from, uh, from Burrow. I think, you know, you probably will remember this better the script better than yeah. I will. Maybe yeah. It was, third it down, was throwing third down Higgins. Throw. Yeah. Yeah. Third down throw to Higgins, probably for about 40 yards that was intercepted. So, yeah. Yeah, I, like I said, I called it a punt interception. I know the yeah, that was good. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, it was fine. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I think you you would have liked to see maybe maybe a higher percentage throw to get a first down. Maybe you know someone else, Hurst or Piron or who knows where Chase was at the time. But that that that's a tough throw to make, right? Absolutely. And I thought it was interesting that uh, Tony Romo brought up on the broadcast that. They ran the same play on the one that led to the chase, not the chase touchdown, but on fourth down when they got inside the goal line. And then I think it was uh, P. Ryan who just kind of punched it in right after that. On the second yeah. Bengals touchdown, they ran the same play in double coverage and hit Jamar Chase kind of over the middle. So it was interesting that they ran the same route on a third down and that it turned into an interception for Kansas City. I thought that was an interesting thing that the Bengals went to with the game plan, which is like if they're going to double chase and they're going to double Higgins, let's try and beat them over the top while they're in double coverage. And it was just a really interesting strategy to watch, especially with six minutes left in a tie game. Yep. No, I agree with you there. I think, I think, um, I don't know. There, there were, there were opportunities. I thought Cincinnati was going to win the game, Kyle, um, as we got to that, you know, seven minute mark in the fourth quarter, just kind of a, a similar script that I felt like, 
you know, we've seen over the last few years with, with these two teams where um, the Kansas City defense collapses at the end and the Cincinnati defense holds serve. And I think they both kind of held serve. It's just one team made a bigger play on special teams than the other. Both defenses played really well. I mean, they were just so evenly matched. I mean, both teams had a five-minute touchdown drive, a six-minute field goal drive. They both had key turnovers that at the end of the day didn't really hurt them when you're talking about the Burrow interception at the end of the first half and the the Mahomes fumble. They just they both played to such an even game the whole way through. And I think because Kansas City jumped out to the early lead, because uh the other part that happened was the Bengals went an entire quarter without picking up a yard. <laughs> they had zero yeah. yards of offense. Meanwhile, yeah. Kansas City went 62 minutes without converting a first down. Now, it was broken up by halftime, but they said on the broadcast they went over an hour without picking up a first down. So it's just I think because Kansas City got out to an earlier lead, it felt like they were giving the game back and it was Joe Burrow making the charge again and coming back from behind to win. I think it played perfectly into how we perceive both of those teams. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100 percent. It was very interesting to watch there. And um, yeah, like you said, I I don't think that I don't think the Bengals walk away feeling like this is an indictment of them. They they won a no. coin toss game last year and they lost a coin toss game this year. They'll be fine. You know, if they keep similar personnel intact, they're the top they're they're the best team per, perhaps going into the season next year in the conference. And I think we're seeing a little bit of a decline from Baltimore. Um, I think we're seeing maybe a little bit of an upswing with Pittsburgh. Cleveland doesn't really do much for me. So Kings of the North um, in Southern Ohio, I think clearly are the Cincinnati Bengals still. I think it's still, I don't think there's anything that can really change to make the, the three teams at the top fall behind the three teams at the top only because there's just such a huge gap between Kansas city, Cincinnati and Buffalo, and then the rest of the AFC this year. So I don't know how another team is going to be able to close that gap or if one of the teams at the top is going to lose so many pieces that they're going to fall back to the pack. I just don't see it happening. No, I don't either. I mean, I feel like the the only team that, you know, has that potential to overcome the top three if they weren't, you know, having their history of being absolutely stupid in playoff games or your former team, the uh, L.A. Chargers, they have the roster. I mean, they just... Just can't put it together when it counts. So, you know, they're just the that, chargers, the chargers. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's the thing. They're just the chargers. They will always exist in a second tier. And uh, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have seen them play Kansas city this year in that divisional playoff game. I mean, they still probably would have lost. I just would have, have loved to see what would have happened just because I know, I know the chargers are underdogs, but like you said, they're, they're the clear number four at this point. And I think that's because of the quarterback. Yeah, I think they I think they keep that game pretty close. I mean, the, the Chiefs and the Jags game was not as entertaining as I think the Chargers Chiefs game would have been. But um, hey, I, I, I when I was on your pod before, you know, I left for Disney, those divisional uh, AFC uh, games and the NFC games. I loved Jacksonville and I loved Philadelphia and Philadelphia, you know, came home against the Giants very easily. And the uh, Jags got lucky, came home with a field goal at the end to cover the number. So um, those were those were two two good results there for me. But um, I do think L.A. would have made this a very scary event if they played smart uh, against KC, something that we really should have seen. 
I'd love to see what Miami does next year to pivot because obviously they don't have draft picks or cap space, but I thought for 12 weeks of the season, they were the pretty clear number four. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Jacksonville got to be the number four. I, I don't I don't think it's going to get better for Jacksonville from here. I think this was like exceeding expectations beyond their wildest dreams. But I'd love to see what Miami does to try and climb up to the pack just because I feel like they have the roster to potentially do what the Chargers would do or what the Jaguars would do to at least give Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati a run for their money. Miami's scary. Yeah, I, I'm, I I think Miami's a scary team if they have a healthy QB1 for at least 15 to 17 games a year. Yeah, they're they're very scary. But um, I just don't know about Tua. I mean, I feel like when he gets hit again, which he will, um, there's going to be a huge emphasis on uh, should you take him out for several games again. You know, I think that this guy now has some serious damage, unfortunately, upstairs and uh, – they, they're going to have to worry about that, I think, for several seasons to come. But hopefully he gets lucky and he doesn't have that that hit that would uh, put him out for a while. But if and when that happens, they they better have a better answer than um, probably Skylar Thompson or Teddy Two Gloves. Yeah, I, I think they'll bring in another backup this offseason. Not sure who it's going to be, but they'll bring in someone to to be there because they're one of those teams right on the edge of do we have a franchise quarterback or do we not have a franchise quarterback? So might be a might be an ideal position for one of those fringe starters like uh, whoever gets left out on the musical chairs of quarterbacks at the end of the day. I don't know how it's going to pan out this year. I know last year Baker Mayfield and Jimmy G were the two that were left out in the musical chairs of quarterbacks. I don't know who it's going to be this year, but if they do, I think Miami's probably the position those teams those quarterbacks opt to sign with. Yeah, Jimmy G will be an interesting story here. There's uh, there's got to be some landing spots for him. Um, I can't really think offhand like the perfect fit, but it'll be interesting to see you know where Lamar Jackson lands, and you know that's all gonna. I think it's all gonna start with with him. Yeah, Derek Carr is also in this group. I don't know if Derek Carr is yeah. going to be a starter next year, so maybe he goes to backup Tua, which is kind of crazy to think about. That would be a great. That would be a great backup, right, man? Jeez, that'd be, that'd be probably like the, the best, perfect. and you can do. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. All right, let's go over to Philadelphia now. We we mentioned them a little bit ago. What'd you make of, uh, you can call it two playoff games, because the last time we talked was right before the divisional round. So what have you made of Philadelphia's playoff run? Yeah, I mean, really impressed with their defense. Um, let's start with that. I mean, they shut down the Giants. They shut down um, pretty much you know, San Francisco. You got to feel bad for the Niners fans. It's just been a brutal run, you know, in these... Uh, NFC Championship games two in a row, uh, one that probably should have won last year. Maybe had chances. This this one really just didn't have cha- didn't have a chance. I mean, you know, they're on their third string quarterback going in you know this game with Purdy. Purdy's had a heck of a a run for six or seven games, but um, Johnson, boy, did he look lost out there. As soon as he got on the field, it was disgusting to watch. And um, can't really take away too much from this Philly game, uh, Philly NFC Championship game. I'm really just was more impressed by the Giants game. Uh, Kyle, I turned the TV off, um, I think, in the third quarter, middle of the third quarter. Um, kind of walked away from the NFC Championship game probably th- for the first time in my life. I don't think I watched all four quarters. It was it was just bad. You know, you're just watching a team that that had no, no chance to do anything in San Francisco. So I don't think you can use that film, honestly, um, if you're the uh, Kansas City Chiefs to really take, you know, say, oh, wow, this is what Philly did incredible against San Francisco. Well, I mean – 
I mean, you know, San Francisco was playing, you know, with a with with, with ten guys on the field, and with their eleventh guy missing, the most important piece of the puzzle, obviously, which is their quarterback. So, um, yeah, I mean, Philly. How about Philly sports, man? You know, two, you know, MLB World Series, and now a chance to redeem the Phillies and win the Super Bowl, which I, I really do like. I, I think the Eagles are, the, are playing like they were playing, you know, in that that week four through eight when they look just unstoppable. Um, I, I think I think the Eagles are the better team going into this game. And also the Philadelphia Union won the MLS title last year. So it's been ah, a, okay. it's been a good year for Philly. Yeah, I wouldn't know that. I'm glad you I'm glad you mentioned that. Wow. Yeah, it's just kind of been a good run for Philly. I, I'm interested by the the I mean, I'm just infinitely interested by Hassan Reddick as someone who does a lot of Arizona Cardinals stuff. It's just so fascinating that they but they botched his entire career for three, four years, and now he turns into this star edge rusher. I just think it's so interesting to watch Philadelphia's defense because, yes, they're playing not great offenses, but even when they were facing off against the top-of-the-line offenses, they, they weren't getting destroyed. And it'll be interesting to see how Kansas City game plans for them because I would imagine Kansas City would rather keep their offense on the field rather than turn their defense over to the Philadelphia offense. And that's super interesting because... What Philadelphia does best, which is pass rushing and uh, their their top two corners, and what they don't do as well is um, in the uh, in the running game. It's interesting to see what Philadelphia will do against Kansas City defensively. Yeah, I, I think there's. I don't know. Do you have a little concern for um, Mahomes and his and his foot? I mean, I feel like we we kind of noticed that. Um, that Lynn bought, I mean, he made the biggest play of the game, you know, to secure the opportunity to kick a game winning field goal with that run. But I, and I just, I just think that Philly is going to get to Mahomes this because Mahomes is not healthy. Right. So you can try to get to Mahomes and he's just going to run away from you. And that's how it worked for so many years. But uh, this pass rush is, is really, really tough. And I think that, um, you know, Cincinnati for, you know, I don't know. They just didn't get to get, you know, I don't, I, Cincinnati just really didn't get to Mahomes. How many, how many sacks did the Bengals have on Sunday night? Was it one? Uh, they had three and one that got called back because of a, I believe a penalty on Eli Apple, but they got to okay. Mahomes four times. They got to Mahomes four times. Okay. All right. So that's pretty good. I think that's actually pretty solid. I just felt like Mahomes had a lot of time in the pocket. I think that needs to be eliminated. Um, wide receivers for the Kansas city chiefs. Um, are they going to be healthy? Uh, for the Super Bowl, I, I think so. I mean, the, the the Tony injury. Tony's a really good playmaker. Um, boy, is he a speedy guy. And I think they they definitely they definitely need him to to step up. Um, so you know, I, I sit here and and I look at um, the Philadelphia Eagles and I say to myself, you know, where where are the stops coming from this this Kansas City Chiefs defense? You know, who's gonna who's gonna check Smith? Who's gonna check uh, Brown? I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, Eli Apple and and all the and and a couple other, you know, the secondary is really banged up. I mean, is, are there been reports of the health for these these uh, these cornerbacks uh, for the Chiefs? Uh, I do know Legarius Sneed got a concussion. I was actually looking that up earlier. So Legarius Sneed has a concussion. It looks like Juju Smith Schuster is going to be fine by the time the game rolls around, but. Uh, he did. Andy Reid only gave updates on the receivers and Legarius Sneed and Willie Gay. 
which, uh, you know, Willie Gay came back in that game. So I think that one we can say he's okay. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, it's kind of the Super Bowl that I think a lot of people wanted to see. I think we all, I think fans in general wanted to see Philly, Kansas City, Philly, Buffalo. And, uh, you know, here we are. It's a great game. Um, you know, I really hope that Mahomes is healthy because if Mahomes is healthy, it's going to be an extraordinary game. Um, two incredible quarterbacks playing at elite levels. It's um, it's probably, for me, you know, it's definitely, you know, L.A. versus Cincinnati was pretty pretty exciting last year to be, you know, leading up to the game. Um, but I think that this game is probably the, the shortest number that we've seen, right, in a long time. I think L.A. was laying – maybe four points in that game against the Bengals last year. I think this is the, um, this is the shortest number I've seen in several years. I would guess so. The only one I could think of close to it would be the, um, the Patriots and Rams one. Although I'm not sure what the line was for that game. I mean, it's rare that you get it two points or one and a half points. Yeah. I wonder what that line was. I couldn't tell you. I don't remember. I feel like Kansas, I feel like New England was a, maybe a, a two and a half to three point favorite in that game. That was a, that, that was a kind of, that was one of the most boring Super Bowls. Is that the, and then the Superdome? Is that right? About yeah, five that was ago? the, that was the 13 to three one. Yeah. yeah the, um, the, so going back through history, I looked up just lines. It doesn't say what the sports book is, but it just gives a vague spread about the history of Super Bowls. Looks like the one against the 49ers, Kansas city was a one and a half point favorite. So, oh, okay. That one was, I guess, close. It was two and a half against the Rams. Four points, the Nick Foles Super Bowl. Three, five. Uh, huh? They they ruled it a pick between the Seahawks and the Patriots, the, the Malcolm wow. Butler game. Wow, okay, so that's really close. And that, that deserved to be a pick wow. I mean, it did literally come down to the last play of the game on the goal line to decide yeah, it. So I, wow. I think that checks out. One of the things that you brought up that's interesting is their ability to get pass rush on Mahomes, which I think is interesting because I talked about this leading up to the Bengals game, which is, you know, what's the problem if Mahomes becomes a traditional pocket passer? And the thing that I felt like was a misnomer about that is that he's not going to be a pocket passer like how Matt Ryan is a pocket passer. It's that if they have to run that offense, it's going to look like Aaron Rodgers where it's get the ball out two and a half seconds, snap to throw two and a half seconds or less every single time you drop back to throw. And it's going to be a lot of slants and drags and like short developing routes, um, which is probably going to be the same thing against Philadelphia. If Mahomes isn't going to be mobile or is faced with a, a blitz packages of five or six, I think that's probably what it's going to look like, which then plays into, they really do need those receivers healthy because a lot of what they do in those short routes is predicated on Kadarius Tony and Juju Smith-Schuster. Kadarius Tony kind of replacing McCole Hardman the last few weeks. Those two are super important in what they do with those short, quick routes on offense. So they, I mean, maybe Sky, they tried to do it with Sky Moore in the AFC Championship game where he was in motion and he was doing screens and stuff. I just think they really, really want Tony or. Juju Smith-Schuster to be in there instead of Sky Moore and the cavalcade of tight ends. Oh, yeah. No, those guys have to be available, Juju and Tony, for, like you said, those short intermediate routes that will eliminate, you know, Mahomes having to run all the time. If Mahomes can somehow get these passes off quickly, um, those guys are speedsters. I think Juju, 
has a pretty a pretty good year. You know, I think everybody you know thought you're know, writing off Juju after his really poor two years, last two years in Pittsburgh. So I I think um, I think this is Super Bowl. I think we'll get them all back. And I think if there if there are if there are excuse me if all of these players are a go, um, that's going to be a game changer for Kansas City. But I just think that the Eagles defense will just make more stops here than the Chiefs. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's probably why the Eagles are a slight favorite on the line, because other than that, I mean, there's not a whole lot to pick apart between the Eagles and Kansas City. They they both do certain things very well, and Kansas City's defense is at the very least opportunistic. I know it's a lot of young guys, and young doesn't necessarily mean good in a lot of these circumstances, but... You know, Kansas City's done fine, and they still have Chris Jones and Frank Clark, who, by the way, I didn't get to weave this stat in anywhere. Frank Clark is now the third. He has the third most sacks in the history of the playoffs, which I was I was shocked to learn that, that Frank Clark is only behind, I think, Willie McGinnis and Bruce Smith in history for playoff sacks. <laughs> Clark and Jones are beasts, man. They are just, they are, man, what a duo. I mean, like, I, I think that, I mean, you take away those guys from the equation somehow, and this Kansas City defense is, I think, going to be an overall disaster, you know, as far as um, quarterbacks having the ability to run and and pass. But they're there, and I think they they can do some damage. I just think I love – I just love what I see out of Hurts right now, Kyle. I mean, this guy is just so fluid, right? He's, he's making the right decisions uh, constantly, and – running the ball when he has to run the ball and the zone reads kind of deadly at times with uh, Kenneth Gainwell and Miles Sanders. Like who's going to take the ball? Is it going to be Hertz or is it going to be one of these two very quality backs? It's just going to be a major task uh, for the Kansas city chiefs defense, which again, played incredible. The last five to seven minutes of this game played in really, really good defense overall. I mean, they only gave up 20 points to Cincinnati. Let's just throw that out there and played pretty good against the Jaguars as well. But I don't trust them. I really don't. I mean, this is to me. I've always. I think the Chiefs' defense at times has has just completely uh, sputtered, um, kind of like the Bills. You know, I, I know the numbers and the stats would indicate. Oh yeah, Buffalo is an elite defense. They're still top six in so many categories. But I feel like when it counts, the they they give both teams will give up big plays, and I fear that if you're a Kansas City uh, backer. I mean, that was the problem for San Francisco, right? It was almost a guarantee that Devonta Smith was going to have a 50-yard completion in that game, and it happened pretty early in the game. And if you add in that fourth down catch that maybe was a catch but maybe wasn't a catch, I mean, they had two big plays pretty early in the game, and even if San Francisco had had an offense, it would have been hard to overcome that deficit. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right there, and I, I don't know, man. That that duo, Higgins, Higgins and and Chase, or Brown and Smith. That's a tough, tough, daunting uh, slate there for the Kansas City defense. Huh? Well, I think I think the thing that makes it simple for Kansas City is do the same thing: double team Brown and double team Smith, and pass rush with four. That's what they did for most of the game against. Cincinnati and I think they'll probably do the same against Philly the only problem is Philly's really good at running the football and that's going to be a bit of a problem maybe they have Willie Gay spy on Jalen Hurts well how about they the performance of uh the Kansas City run defense though overall I mean they really shut down Mixon what, what was uh what was Mixon's line I believe that the the, the 
Cincinnati running backs combined with Mixon and um, I at Mixon and P Ryan, I think had less than three yards per carry for the game. Let me just okay. check real wow. quick. It is uh, okay. I've got the box score here. So it is P Ryan, five carries for 22 Mixon eight carries for 19. So between the two, that's 13 carries for 41 yards, an average of 3.1 yards per carry. Man, that's that's impressive, huh? Yeah, that's really good. Combined with the fact that Kansas City had 17 carries for 34 yards on their side of the ball. So both teams just couldn't run the ball to save their lives. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, great defensive play, great run defense on both defensive sides of the ball by both uh, Cincy and KC. Um, I thought what was I mean, McCaffrey had that breakout 45, 50 yard uh, running touchdown. But other than that, was he pretty much shred, uh, shut down by the Eagles? Uh, I think so. I mean, towards the end, they were kind of running the ball most of the way McCaffrey. So if you take away the 20 yard touchdown where he broke to a tackle and juked another guy, if you take away that play, it was 14 carries for 64 yards, which is an average of four yards a carry. Okay. That was only a 20 yard touchdown. Okay. I thought it was longer. I thought it was in the forties. Okay. It was, it was a 20 yard touchdown, but he had all 45 yards on the drive. I think it was like two runs, a catch, and then a 20 yard touchdown run. But yeah, McCaffrey had all 45 yards on that touchdown drive. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Which so about four yards a carry for McCaffrey, which by the end they knew they were running it the whole time. So I don't like like you, I stopped watching with about two minutes left in the third quarter. So I don't know how those numbers changed once they got to garbage time, but uh, it it didn't seem like they were doing a whole lot outside of the one drive where McCaffrey had 45 yards of offense. And I think they started at the 45. So he had all of the yards on the drive. Yeah, I mean, I just and can you fathom as a football fan, like not watching the NFC Championship in full? You know, it's funny, Kyle. I didn't have a bet on either game. I just didn't want to bet him. I, 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 I sometimes will bow out at times, not all the time, as a better uh, of these big championship games because either I can watch it as a fan and not worry about an investment. And sometimes really didn't have a strong lean. I didn't have a, a very strong lean. And that's what discipline is sometimes in gambling. Like if you don't have a strong lean, there's two options. Don't bet it or bet it live. And I didn't really bet it live or have a lean. So I just stayed away from both games. And boy, man, I mean, I think that the smart people out there really, you know, they, you could have gotten Philly when, when San Francisco scored, like Philly was only, I think like a dollar 60 to win. Like, that was probably the gift of the NFL year, right? Paying a dollar sixty with a quarterback that I mean, it was pretty obvious. Even when they scored McCaffrey's run, was Johnson the QB at that time? Yeah, Johnson was the QB by then. Yeah. So yeah, I had some friends that got on it and they paid a dollar sixty on the money line at seven seven. And boy, man, I, I regret that. Right? I wish I can uh, take the Back to the Future DeLorean and go back in time and bet a lot of units on minus 160 because that that was a gift my god i mean san francisco did not score again do we have that right was it i don't even it don't was even seven it was seven they had seven the whole game and it was they went, uh they, they got yeah. seven yeah 
31 7 was the final and yeah the other part to that well also it's funny that you said going back in the delorean because i think brock purdy looks like 1984 michael j fox um it's yeah. kind of funny the look alike there but uh the other part to, to that is the san francisco 49ers uh i have a i was doing local radio filling in last week and then the 49ers were I have 49ers fans because I'm in Northern California and friends of mine are 49ers fans. I was saying the same thing with like, look, I know Josh Johnson is the quarterback. I've seen Kyle Shanahan win two playoff games in which Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw a pass for two hours and nine minutes <laughs> like or didn't complete a pass wow. for two hours and nine minutes. It's happened twice. So I understand why people were ready to say it wasn't over. I, he has won two playoff games where Jimmy G didn't complete a pass for two hours of real time. That's incredible. What a stat. That is remarkable. Yeah. Uh, the, the one of them, one of them was the, the NFC championship game against green Bay when yeah. they, uh, they went to the super bowl and most dirt had 160 yards, um, which, yeah. you know, you could say they were up. They didn't need to throw the ball in the second half. So they just didn't throw the ball in the second half one time. Uh, the other one was the divisional game against the Packers last year in Lambeau. Didn't complete a pass for two hours of real time. And they won 13 to 10 on a block field goal and a block punt. So, you know, I understand people's skepticism. Like Kyle Shanahan has won two playoff games without a quarterback. <laughs> That's remarkable. I think he's a great coach. He had he had himself some tough cards dealt to him with um, with Lance and Garoppolo going down. And, you know, I, you know, listen, you know, it's I think it's 80, 90 percent the player that is uh, the factor in the game. But you have to give a lot of credit for the preparation uh, over the months of November through January for Brock Purdy. Remarkable run shows a lot about him as a coach and whoever he surrounds himself on the coaching staff. So uh, Shanahan. um Hey, in his final four back-to-back years, special coach and folks in Northern California, uh, you know, probably have a big decision to make uh, who's going to be the QB one. That's going to be a, a very interesting story. I mean, Trey, they put a lot of money into Lance, but sometimes you just have to move on. You know, I just don't think that Lance is the right guy. I think it's, I think it's clearly Purdy at this juncture. Well, Purdy's now got to have elbow surgery, so he might not be ready for week one next year, and that throws a wrench in the plans. And the way I see it, Purdy's now in the Patriots Jimmy Garoppolo territory, which is we know he's a quality starter. We we have the same sample size of Purdy and Garoppolo this year with the same team. We know Purdy's better than Garoppolo, and Garoppolo's like a fringe starter, so like we know Purdy's at least capable of being a starter, but he's not going to get the repetitions to prove it because Trey Lance is going to be the starter moving forward. And the Niners have no incentive to trade Brock Purdy because he makes, I think, a total of $3 million over the next three seasons. Like he's wow. he's the really cheap backup quarterback. So I think yeah. that's what Brock Purdy is going to be is a really cheap backup quarterback. But don't you don't you just, you know, see this unfolding, you know, week three or four if he's healthy. Things aren't going great with Lance and the fans are just going to go crazy for Brock Purdy time as they got used to, you know, this fall. So I just see that coming. We've seen this story all the time, right? In the NFL week, week 10, possibly week three. I don't think so, because I think they're going to give Trey Lance a representative sample to prove something. So by by week 10, I might come around on that. But I think Lance is going to get eight, nine games no matter what. 
Well, okay. I, you could be right. You know, you could be right. And and I, I guess I should have known the extent of the injury. I didn't realize that it's going to take out um, Purdy for that long a period of time. I thought I thought he'd be okay after the season was over. So, um, no, it's going to be great. It's going to be interesting to see what transpires uh, in the offseason. And um, I'm just, you know, I think it's a great Super Bowl head. Very excited to watch it. Yeah, that one snuck in on Monday. It was kind of like a news dump, like 4 p.m. my time, which would be like 7 p.m. Monday your time, which is that uh, Brock got a full tear of the UCL in his elbow. And uh, he's going to be out for kind of the same length of time Garoppolo was last year. It's kind of similar. They've got Trey Lance and another and a quarterback with a throwing arm injury, just like the 49ers had last offseason. So it's kind of interesting how that parallel worked out again. Uh the last thing I had now that we've worked through everything else is the most recent, which is the news of the day that Tom Brady retired. And uh, we haven't had a chance yeah. to talk about that on the show. So any interesting thoughts around that? You know, we'll see him again. Uh, <laughs> um, I think his uh, I think his uh, video this morning was pretty sincere that, you know, he's done and um yeah, I didn't have much left, right? I mean, it's going to be 46 years old this year. Is that right? In 2023? Yeah, uh, that is correct. I mean, listen, I still play competitive tennis at age 43, which is, you know, three years younger than Brady. And I can barely walk after a, a hard fought match after two hours the next day, <laughs> come off the court pretty sore. Uh, this guy's playing professional football, you know, which is a lot more rigorous than playing doubles. Um, so, I think it's time to go. I think, uh, you know, may, maybe, maybe, you know, figure out, uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, he's got some things to deal with, right. Just got divorced. Maybe he's happy with his new woman, you know, figure out your life with your kids, enjoy your kids. Cause you know, I don't know how much, you know, his obsession with winning and football played a factor in his divorce, but obviously, you know, it's time for Tom to probably enjoy life. Uh, he's put way too much into this over the last few years. It did pay off with a Super Bowl title three years ago, but I think in the long run, you know, his he'll be happier, I think, off the field in his mid to late 40s because it goes by quick. Your kids get, you know, Kyle, you, you know, I have kids and uh if I've been fortunate enough to be, you know, have, a, you know, be around them through huge occasions, milestones in their life. And I don't think Brady has probably done that. I don't want to speak for him. I'm just assuming that with all of the things he's had to deal with on and off the field, you know, he has a job that is so demanding for six months. And then the off season is very demanding as well. There's a very small break and that's probably January through, through late February. Um, so um, anyways, long story short, um, it's uh, it's very important that uh, that he enjoys life, and uh, I'm sure he'll make a lot of money in a broadcast booth uh, this fall. I would imagine one of the networks is going to pick him up. He he already has that preemptive deal with Fox, which I'm sure he can get out of that deal if a better offer comes up on the table. But right. he's uh, we'll see what happens. Maybe he's maybe he is going to go do the broadcasting thing next year. I don't know how the terms of that contract work, but we'll see what ends up happening for him. I'm kind of in the same boat where it's like, okay, you would have either retired or been the quarterback of the seven and 10 Raiders. So good on you for reaching retirement. And yeah, I think you're better off retiring and not getting hit in the backfield in Vegas where the offensive line has always been an issue probably will be for years to come. So 
good on Brady and uh, congratulations to him on a uh, well, the greatest career of all time. Nothing else you can say than that, right? Pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, that is Razor Rosenthal. You can check him out on, well, follow his Twitter account first and foremost uh, if you want to get all of Razor's up and uh, Razor's stuff that he's doing, whether it's tennis related, football, college basketball stuff. Once the Super Bowl ends, we'll do our co- recapping everything that's happened in college basketball show as, as we usually do every year. So I'm uh, guessing that's the next time we'll talk. Yeah, college, man, college hoops, February, some of the best stuff. Uh, that's coming up here in in the winter. I, I love college troops, February, March. So look forward to uh, moving on from football. It really is time to move on from football. I feel like I've gotten enough, Kyle. I think I'm ready to move on to college troops uh, in the thick of things here as we approach March Madness. You know what? I'm ready for it. Because last year when we did our recap of college basketball, we ended up talking for 10 minutes about Craig Smith, the coach at Utah. So I'm excited to learn all about what's going to happen this year in the wild world of college basketball. There you go. Pump for it and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. Good luck. Um, I'll I'll throw out my pick uh, right now. I'm leaning towards uh, Philadelphia on the money line. Haven't put any investment into it yet, but I do think they're the better team and we'll be uh, looking to see if we can get a a number to drop. Um, I think if the uh, Kansas City Chiefs are healthy, you probably will get that line closer to $1.20. I think I think Philly will continue to emerge as the favorite no matter, you know, who's in or out for KC. But um, I I think I'd like to just kind of wait and see approach here with the with the actives. But my guess is that that the Philadelphia Eagles will, you know, probably close between a dollar 20 and a dollar 30 on the money line. So that's my pick. Uh, Fly Eagles fly and uh, everybody enjoy the Super Bowl.